0: on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay. You are tuned in to Therapy in a Nutshell, here on KCNR, 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. This is Dr. Patty, and today we are going to be talking about an issue that I deal with in my private practice all the time and have for 30-plus years. It's called by many different names over the years, but we're going to talk about the concept of codependency. I'm going to reframe it a little bit for you so you can understand, and we're going to take it out of some of the myth and some of the uh, ways that people just use it as a bucket to put certain things in. So I want to really explain it to you, and I want to give you a different way to think about it and by the end of the show, I want to offer you some healing options so you can really take a look at yourself and this issue, take a look at others with this issue, and begin to grow and change. So let's look at the concept of codependency. It's thrown around a lot these days, uh, has been for a bunch of years now. People will say, oh, you're just codependent. You can't be codependent. It's your codependency that's... Uh, enabling this problem. And a typical codependent situation that we see is when people feel that you are enabling a drug-addicted or alcohol-addicted or some addicted family member or someone that you love, and that you are making them addicted by your behavior. You're contributing to their addiction. So that's the way it's thrown around most commonly. But then we will hear other people say, Uh, that you're codependent because you are letting your 40-year-old live in your basement. Um, There are things that your unhealthy behavior is doing that's contributing to the demise of someone else. So that's real typical. And we also, we also often hear people say, oh, I'm so codependent. I just got to stop that. I take care of everybody. And those are some of the components of it, but it's far more than that. And that is not necessarily the path to healing and changing. So with codependency, with enabling behavior, what I think of as that is that you take care of someone else to the detriment Of you. So think about that for a minute. Are someone else's needs being cared for, being respected, someone else's needs at the top of your priority list, and you do that to the detriment of you? So let's give a typical example. Let's say you have um, a drug addicted adult child, and you are deathly afraid that child's going to die. You're going to get a call one day from the police department that they've overdosed on heroin or fentanyl now or something like that. And so you are constantly trying to get their attention, tell them what you think, uh, get them into therapy, uh, help them any way you can, pay for their apartment, uh, let them live in your basement, um, paying for their groceries and their utilities so they don't get turned off. Um, You are helping them because you think it's going to keep them alive. And that's every parent's fear, right? I mean, our greatest fear in life for most people is losing their children. And if it's not their children, it's people that they deeply are loved and attached to. So that enabling behavior is what that would be called, is that by you providing all the financial support and things, you are freeing up any money they have to purchase drugs, feed their addiction, Okay. So that enabling behavior, you might be putting yourself in financial detriment. You can't pay your own utilities or you're having trouble with your own mortgage or your own groceries, um, but you are throwing money at them. And one place that I see this often and have over many years is that this issue of enabling and codependency is sometimes utilized to get family members to pay for very expensive rehab. And not always rehab is not always manipulative, but family members feel like I hear I hear often I at least need to pay for him or her to go to rehab at least once. Now let's look at the price tag on that. Most rehab in the state of California in the United States at least is at least about forty thousand a month. There are a couple programs that will accept Medicare or Medi-Cal. They will. Um, They'll have some benefit to them that gets paid for by insurance. Um, But there are programs that are $150,000 a month. There are huge, it's a huge industry of rehabilitation. And the chance of people getting out of 30 days of rehab, clean and sober, and remaining so is very low. And I'm not going to throw percentages at you, but in my 34 years of private practice, I've seen a lot of people go to rehab, and I have only seen a couple that, have remained clean and sober. It was the shift that they needed. So say that you aren't rich, you don't have tons of money, coming up with a lot of money to put your loved one or child or whatever into rehab is a huge stretch for you. And harms you financially. I've had parents who have taken their retirement, taken a mortgage out on their house that they worked so hard to pay off for their retirement, and use that money to pay for rehab for once, twice, three times for addicted adults. They ruin their own lives financially for a shot in the dark of keeping their loved one alive. So that is a typical case of enabling with this definition that I'm giving you, helping others to the detriment of you. Okay, just hang on to that. Write that down if you can. How often do you help others to the detriment of you? And here's the place where we're going to start looking at codependency a little bit differently. Do you do this behavior only with the person you're afraid of losing to addiction? Or do you do it across the board? do you do it at work with coworkers where you'll take on more than your share or cover for them when you it isn't reciprocated do you go the extra mile for people in trying to care for them and to love them and overlook that it is often not reciprocal in return to you so this enabling behavior is something that you've got to take a look at and see if it's who you are across the board and do you do those things Hoping that you're going to keep someone safe so that they're going to be around to love you well. And that's a real issue. How often do you feel well loved by the people that you enable? So, we're looking at the idea of addiction and how people around the addicted person care for them and what do they do, uh, what do they do when they are concerned. So, Codependency and enabling are two words that are beginning to be outdated. Now, enabling probably will stick around, but codependency is a a term that's beginning to be outdated because we're recognizing that it is a catch-all for a lot of underlying symptoms and behaviors that really mean something else, and we're going to talk about that. But before we go to break, I want you to recognize that addiction can happen in any personality type. So the person who enables the other person, the addicted person to make it easier for for them to buy drugs or alcohol or whatever, that person can have their own addiction that they struggle with or that maybe they keep barely in check. So addiction is not, codependency and enabling is not just about one person struggles with addiction and the other one is all altruistic and perfect and true and doesn't have any problems and in their loving caring attitude they're going to rescue that addicted person from their self and help them heal and become a loving kind productive person who's now going to return the care and the love that the codependent has been dishing out all right we're going to go to break and when we come back i want to talk to you about a different way to think about codependency We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. We are talking about the concept of codependency. And what I'm really... Wanting everybody to get is this concept of codependency is beginning to be outdated. It is more about healthy boundaries. And so that's a a component that we're going to be dealing with by the end of the show. But what I want you to see is that the underlying basis for codependency and the person who is doing the enabling, now I'm not talking about the drug addicted person or the alcohol addicted person or whatever addiction someone's struggling with. I'm talking about the people in their life who are basically trying to love them out of that problem. They're trying to make it so they are not doing behaviors that could kill them. Must be that blunt about it. Uh, we're afraid that some addicted person that we love is going to die, either from diseases that are created by severe alcoholism, things like that, or by overdosing um, on heroin or other hard drugs, we're afraid we're going to lose somebody that we love. So the underlying issue to the person who is doing the enabling and who we would historically call to a codependent is that they don't really love themselves very well. And let me explain that. When you love others more than you, When you want to love somebody so hard that they see you as worthy and caring and worth their returned love, part of the motivation for that is a lack of self-worth. And we're going to break this down a little bit because at first it seems like a hard concept to understand. When you know that you are worthy... And you know that you are worth loving. It does not mean you're perfect. If you listen to my podcast, Loving Yourself, you'll learn some of the concept of this. And I highly recommend you go to that podcast on Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell podcast, and listen to Loving Yourself. But when you don't love yourself and you question your own self-worth, part of you wants to build your closest loving people up so much that they see you with different eyes. And they prove to you that you are worth loving. So one of our biggest fears in life is that we will be rejected. And some people will say, I don't ever think about that. But so often when we are doing behaviors that try to make people whole and well, help them see how much we love them, care for them, and raise them up so that they don't die at worst or you know, end up with bad health and all that kind of stuff or pull away. When we're doing that, part of what we are trying to do is create a loving environment where we can feel okay about ourselves. So that lack of self-love becomes part of the motivation because one of our fears is that we will be rejected. And the fear of rejection is actually the fear of abandonment. If you reject me and you don't love me, you will abandon me and stop loving me. When we feel unloved or someone has thrown us away or abandoned us, then what happens are feelings about death and dying. Some people are not afraid to be dead because they have a belief system that makes them feel secure in whatever's going to happen once they're gone from this earthly plane. But even those people sometimes can be petrified of how they're going to get dead how they're going to die, the process of dying. Rejection and abandonment, love withdrawal, throwing people away, creates an emotional kind of death within us. And it feels like some of your soul and your spirit is dying. And it is very horrendously emotionally challenging. So part of what happens with enabling others and codependenting them to try and make them whole is that we want to make sure that we are worth loving, that we're doing everything spiritually and emotionally correct to help somebody. We're lifting them up. We're trying to make them whole. And that will keep our family intact, our children alive. The the reciprocal feelings of I love you and you love me will either start, because they've never been there, or they will go back to being healthy if they've been healthy in the past, or they will again come around to I feel safe and loved with you. Now, do you follow that? I'm not saying that codependency and enableness, enabling others is an extremely selfish act. I'm doing that just so you will love me, although some issues on codependency will say it's just being selfish. You want somebody to heal so you'll be okay. I've seen that lots of times. Let's go beyond that. I think people that enable and are codependent are well-intentioned. They want others to be okay, and they want to do right action. They want to help, be spiritually correct. Um, They want to give instead of take. They tend to be people that are helping reaching out people, for the most part. But underneath it all, if we feel worthy and we are worth loving, then we're only going to help someone else if it's wanted, accepted, received, and utilized. Wanted, accepted, received, and utilized. Often when people try to enable others or help them, give them a leg up, give them a hand up, it is not accepted. It's not received in a way that can be utilized to create change for them. And when you keep giving and keep giving and keep giving to the detriment of you, who is it that you are not loving? Who's getting thrown away? Whose needs are not being met? You, who's creating what I call brickface? Brickface is when there's a big, huge brick wall in front of you, and you try real hard to fix something or do something. It doesn't work, so you back up and you ram at the brick wall faster. It's, oh, this will help! I'll do it harder and more. You end up with brickface. You don't slam through the brick wall. So let's take a concrete example of that with codependency. You have a drug or alcohol addicted adult child which is a scenario I see a lot. You've wanted to help. You put them in an apartment. You uh, got them therapy. You helped them pour all the alcohol down the drain. You talked them into going to AA. You even said you'd go with them. You're doing all these kind of things to get them into help. You buy them groceries when you see they only have beer in the refrigerator. You're trying hard to make them whole and healthy. And when it doesn't work, you try harder. You do more. You show up more, you help more, you talk more, you cajole, you argue, you yell and scream, you love, you hug, you cry, you do everything you can to get their attention and get their awareness that they need to change. You've maybe forked out $40,000 for rehab one or two or three times and you're falling apart because your drug-addicted child or alcohol-addicted child is not making changes and you're petrified that they're going to die. Extension of that is it's not unusual for a drug addicted adult child to come into their parents' home and steal grandma's jewelry, steal electronics, uh, take things that they can pawn and sell. It's not addicted for, uh, not unusual for a drug addicted child to take the wonderful expensive jacket and tennis shoes that you bought them and sell it for ten bucks to buy heroin, to put it toward their heroin that day. Um, so what do you do? How do you be spiritually correct, loving, and kind, and helpful without going overboard? It's a complicated issue, isn't it? And I I can tell you, those of you who have never had a drug-addicted adult child or something like that can say, well, I would just do this. You really don't know what you're going to do with a given situation until you walk in that person's shoes. It is a horrendously difficult scenario to think that someone you dearly love and cherish is doing behaviors that could kill them. It scares you horribly. So we're going to go back to, if we find the balance between not enabling that person to buy their drugs or do their stuff or rip you off or sell your stuff, if we're finding a balance between that and loving and loving yourself... Then what comes into play is if I give a ton and I get little to nothing in return, something is wrong. Something is out of balance. And that's what I'm asking you to look at. If you care about yourself and you love yourself, then you will try to create some balance between how much love you give to help and fix And you will notice and care about how much love and respect you get back from whoever you are trying to care about. Now, let's take it to an even smaller type of equation. Let's say it's not something like your heroin-addicted adult child, no, let's say it's a friend, and you're the one who's always showing up, and you're the one who listens, and they call you with all their crises, and you're the sounding board, and you show up with the casserole, and you take their kids and babysit them, you know, all these things that helping, helping, helping people do. How much do you get back of that? So we're doing a balance scale here, and it doesn't always have to be perfectly equal. Don't get me wrong here. But do you get love and care reciprocated to you when you give it. So stop for a minute and look at every relationship you have, whether it's your own family, work, friends, your adult children. Who in your life returns what you give? And if the answer is not many people or really no one, and I hear that often, then what I want you to stop and look at is what is the level of your love for yourself? How much do you care about whether your cup is ever filled up? So I'm not saying you throw your adult child away. I'm not saying you never help your neighbor or your children or your adult parents. Or your, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the awareness of reciprocity, of how love is returned to you, and do you feel worth loving is one of the core issues of what happens with codependency and with enabling. So, in the face of someone else's lack of love and respect for you and the returning of what you give, what do you do? How do you take a look at that? How do you begin to change things? So, it's okay if you're not totally getting this yet, because on the, on the surface it looks like a very complicated process. I'm hoping by the time we finish, you're going to say, wow, I get it. And I'm going to start looking at this differently. That's my goal for us here. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about these other ways to look at codependency. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, Dr. Patty. And you're listening to the incredibly beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist, international player. He plays all over the world. has um, ton, won tons of awards for his flute playing. This is his song called Stargazer, and it's from his CD, Freedom's Hope. Uh, Randy has six CDs. They're all different. They're all beautiful and extremely healing. You can go to his website, com, and check out his CDs. You can also buy them. It's about everywhere CDs are sold on Amazon, iTunes, CD Baby, his website also. Thank you, Randy, for allowing us to use your music on this show. Okay, we're talking about codependency and the idea of it being about more about unhealthy boundaries and more about lack of self-love, your self-love, not their self-love. Now, do addicts often not love themselves? Absolutely. Uh, But there are reasons that people get addicted that are not necessarily from personality dysfunction. Okay, I mean, we like to put addicts into a category of, oh, you must have come from a dysfunctional home. You must have low self-esteem and you, you are unemployed and all of this kind of stuff. That's not necessarily true. There are people who have addictions to drugs, alcohol, prescription drugs, um, and then I always like to say drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, sex, shopping. Okay, people can be addicted to all kinds of unhealthy things and unhealthy behaviors. And it does not necessarily mean you came from a broken home or a bad home or that you are personality disordered or you are super messed up. I have seen very healthy Wonderfully educated, high functioning people get addicted and it kicks their butt. So if that's you, this is a really good show for you to be listening to because trying to crawl out of that hole when you get, when those things take you over, hopefully you've got that internal strength that's really there and you can begin to crawl out. But the main focus of this show is when other people are trying to help the drug or alcohol-addicted person, and that they are doing that to the detriment of their own life, to their own mental health, their self-functioning, their financial stability. That is what traditionally has been called codependency. We're talking about that being enabling behavior, that you are supplying sometimes the actual money for the person to support their habit. But it's also about how does the person who's giving so much love and not receiving any back why they're doing that, and how that is harming them, and in the long run, harming the person you're trying to help. So we're looking at the idea that when you love yourself, you can't be codependent. It, what's, what's interesting to, to, when we talk about self-love is I, I normally don't have to teach parents how to love their children. Having worked for Children's Protective Services and seen a ton of sexual and physical abuse, I can tell you that's not always the case. But for most parents, especially pretty healthy people, you don't have to tell them, do you love your child? Would you do anything for your child? Would you let somebody else take advantage of them? If you saw them loving, 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 loving somebody else and getting nothing, nothing, nothing in return, would you be saying, hey, this is a dysfunctional relationship. What's happening? Um, You're being just like dried out from their taking from you? What's going on? Yes, because you love that person who's being used inappropriately or is allowing themselves to be used inappropriately or who's offering themselves up in sacrifice for someone else's needs. That's because we generally don't have to teach parents how to love their children. Now, do parents go overboard and love their children so much that they enable them to continue their addiction? Yes, that can happen as well. But when I tell people, do you love yourself, that's a different story. They might sacrifice themselves over and over and over again in the unconscious, sometimes conscious, but often unconscious hope that the love and the respect is going to be reciprocated back to them. They're going to finally get back what they're giving out. And that is really the hope for all human beings. We want to be in caring relationships where we give what we get and we get what we give. We want people to love us, respect us. We want to feel safe and protected. We want things to be peace and calm. So one of the ways that you can look to see if your relationship is unhealthy with somebody, if your boundaries are not necessarily well-placed or unhealthy, is... To look for the warning signs of constant drama, constant crazy, constant chaos, too many substances, continually trying to reset boundaries of you can't do that behavior and I'm not going to help you if you do that and and please get some help and those kind of things. When those are being set over and over again and it becomes unhealthy for you, then you are probably entering into a codependent, enabling-type relationship. And it's not because you're bad. It's because most people, their intention is to help. And underlying that intention is, I don't want you to die. And I don't want you to stop loving me. Or, I would really like you to get healthy enough that you could love me back. Now, if you stop and feel what that is like in your heart space, it probably made you want to cry because so often as people, what we're really wanting is just to be loved back. Some people expect others to be perfect, but mostly what I see is that I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I get that. I just want everybody to love each other. And that's one of the hardest things that happen in this world. The world can be chaotic. So much is going on. Uh, it isn't as simple as just that. And it all gets in the way. So self-love can be non-existent or really, really low, and that can enable you, yourself, to enable somebody else. There's a term that's kind of coming around in this new day and age, and it's called self-love deficiency disorder. And there's a movement in the codependency world, in the addiction world, where they're trying to reframe the name of codependency as self-love deficiency disorder. And I think that really explains it well, because those are the people that give, 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 and it doesn't necessarily help, but they do it again and do it more to have breakfast. I'm giving so much. Okay. So what if you looked at codependency this other way? What if you said, can loving someone else be unhealthy? Do we harm people that we love? So if we reframe, this codependency idea, if we take it out of the frame that it's in, the, the old frame for codependency has been uh, you come from a very dependent home, uh, you have attachment disorders, you uh, were raised in an unhealthy way, you are constantly seeking love, and so the codependent person is giving too much. That's the frame that has been around those behaviors. We're going to take that frame off, and we're going to reframe it a different way. What if our lack of boundaries, because we want so desperately to be loved, harms the people that we love by giving too much? Pausing there for a minute so you can follow that. Okay, what if we harm others by loving too much? And the motivation for that is that we are not loving ourselves enough to say enough. I've given what I can. I've tried. And I'm not going to keep throwing good after bad. And I'm not going to Enable anymore. Let me give you a good example. A woman that I had dealt with uh, in therapy came in because she had a drug addicted adult son in his early twenties. She was constantly afraid he was going to die of a heroin overdose, and she was paying, trying to pay for therapy for him. She got him on medication, took him to the doctor. Um, went to the emergency room a bunch of times with him when he almost overdosed. He had a key to her house, and he'd get in, stole a bunch of stuff from her house and pawned it for money. Uh, Then she locked him out of the house, and he broke in, broke a window, broke in, uh, stole more stuff. She would meet him and buy him things, like he didn't have a coat or he didn't have shoes. Uh, One time she found him in, like, cheap 99-cent flip-flops that were broken. So she took him bought him tennis shoes and a jacket and clothes. She was constantly trying to raise him up so that he would have the strength and the resources to heal. What I dealt with her about, because she was the one sitting in the office, not the drug-addicted young man, what I said is, have you given enough? And she said, is it ever enough if he's not healed? And I said, what if the healing isn't yours to do? What if it's his? At what point do you stop and let him either sink or swim? It was a very difficult thing. And I didn't say it lightly, like, oh, just cut that out, and I wouldn't do that. No, it ripped her heart out. But we finally came to a set of behaviors that she felt that she could do. She fixed her house so that he couldn't break in very easily at all. She told him, I will meet you anywhere if you are hungry, and I will buy you something to eat. I will not buy you anything else. I won't put clothes on your back. I won't put shoes on your feet. I won't pay for therapy. I will drive you to therapy if you tell me you're in and you've arranged for a way to pay for it. I will drive you to rehab if you've figured out a place that will take you. I will buy you a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter if you're starving, but that's all. So she had something she could do. And a couple of times he called her, you know, sobbing, I'm going to die. I'm hungry. I'm cold, blah, blah, blah. So she showed up and she would take him to McDonald's and she'd feed him. And she usually showed up with a little bag of groceries that had non-perishable things in them that he couldn't get much money for, for drugs, like a loaf of bread and peanut butter. And she would tell him how much she loved him and that she hoped he would find the fortitude to help himself. So, it helped her. She created the boundary that she could actually do that didn't harm her anymore. But let her, continually let her drug-addicted son know she loved him, she cared about him, and she hoped he would get his head out of his butt. And, It worked pretty well. And she it gave her a lot of relief that she had a plan. So let's look at that concept of is it possible to go from being enabling and codependent and doing way too much for people to the detriment of you? Is it possible to cut it off, do absolutely nothing, tell them they can go ahead and die? I think that's unrealistic to ask of parents or from people who are desperately trying to save somebody that they love. But what we can do is take a good hard look at ourselves and say, if I love myself, where would I draw this boundary for this person that I love? And the example of this mom with her heroin-addicted son is a really good one because those were boundaries she could draw and did draw and worked on herself to maintain those healthy boundaries for herself and for her son. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, I want to give you some very specific things that you can do To begin to take a better look at yourself and handle this in a healthier manner. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, Dr. Patty, and we're talking about the concept of codependency, enabling, and healthy boundaries. So you're getting the idea that helping someone to the detriment of you is what we're talking about. I'm also hoping that you truly get it, that those of you that struggle with enabling someone or being codependent with somebody who has drug and alcohol addictions and other type of addictions, that I understand that your motivation is often because you love them and you want them to heal. But when you do that to the detriment of you, I can guarantee you it's already to the detriment of them. Enabling them to continue their addiction does not help them change. So let's look back and see, explore for a minute. How are you in all your relationships? Do you overhelp? Do you often volunteer when maybe you should, quite frankly, keep your mouth shut and say nothing? Do you fix people constantly? Um, Are you the one who will give somebody your rent money when then you can't pay your own rent or your own mortgage? Those are real overt examples of helping others to the detriment of you. But what I'm talking about here is not just that. That's part of it. But we're also talking about do you love yourself enough to draw a boundary and not let yourself be drowned, and taken under. So the things that we're looking for, if the unhealthy behaviors that we talked about before were those drama things, intensity, and the craziness and the chaos, when you can see those issues happening around you and you try not to engage, and the best way to not engage is not to fix and to practice silence. Not always easy, is it? especially when we're hooked and we're angry and we're upset and we're scared. It's hard to practice silence. But those are two things that you can look at. When in doubt, whether you're helping or not, practice silence. And it's also okay to say to the people around you, I need to take some time to evaluate whether helping you is going to be a good thing to do or not. I need to have some time to reflect on that. So we're looking for the antithesis of that crazy, chaotic behavior. We're looking for open communication. We're looking for reciprocal love and kindness and caring and respect. We want that. You want to get that as well as give that. So when you're all in a one-way relationship where you're doing all the giving of that kind of stuff and you're getting very, very little in return, that is something to stop and say Why? Why am I willing to do that? How long have I been doing that? Do I do that in other relationships as well as this one? How healthy am I is what you're looking at. And the bottom line question is, am I worth loving as well? It's a hard question, isn't it? All right. So we're looking at concepts of self-love. So you can go to my podcast, Loving Yourself. And it's on any podcast forum, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, uh, Anchor, the Anchor app, like a boat anchor. Um, any podcast forum will have it. Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell podcast. The other one that you need to listen to is Standing in Your Truth. How do you love yourself? And say out loud, this is unhealthy behavior that I'm doing for your unhealthy behavior of addiction or whatever. And how can I stand in my truth and do that with love, not aggression and not over-the-top anger? And here's the other question that you're going to ask yourself in this enabling sort of behavior that you might be doing is can I allow somebody to skin their knee? That's kind of how I think of it in my head. You know, we see helicopter parents that don't want their child to run and fall and skin their knee or figure out that what they're doing is not, smart behavior. We tend in this day and age to constantly try to rescue our kid from skinning their knee. So are you willing for somebody to fall and skin their knee? And the metaphor I'm using that for is, can you allow them to reap the rewards or consequences of their own behavior? OK, it's hard because we don't want to see people hurt. And sometimes we feel like they're being so oblivious and so blind that they don't see this could kill them. This could change their life. It could ruin their marriage. It could uh, end their school career. It could all sorts of stuff. it could get fired. Can you allow the person you are trying to help and give a hand up to, can you allow them to skin their knee and to figure out that their behavior is creating harm for them? This is a super important question because it's the thing that I see people trying to save their addicted loved one from. They don't want them to die at worst, and they don't want all sorts of horrid, difficult things to befall on them, like financial difficulties or loss of job or loss of their marriage or their kids or whatever. So answer that question for real. Can you let somebody reap the rewards or consequences of their behavior? whether their behavior is healthy or unhealthy. There's a, a saying that is a John Wayne saying that if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. And I love that saying because it's part of what you say to the person that you love. Look, if you're going to do this stupid kind of addicted behavior, I can't save you from yourself. Only you can save you from yourself. And that is the key issue here. If we all realize we can only save ourselves, That life which you can save is the one that you're looking at in the mirror. And so you can start by loving yourself enough to say, enough. I can't keep helping you to the detriment of me. It's not healthy and it's not right. So if addiction happens because people come from unhealthy families, then can loving our kids enough... Make them never get addicted. It isn't reciprocal, is it? How many people do you know that came from healthy families? They were loved, their parents showed up at their games, they were given opportunities, uh, they were, they had discipline, they had their lunch packed for them. Pick all the things that we think of as when a child is loved. And I still end up being addicted. Addiction is something that can grab anyone, even a healthy person. So, We can't necessarily love someone out of addiction because that didn't necessarily create their addiction. They have to stop and take responsibility for their own behavior. And the only way that's going to happen is when others stop taking responsibility for their behavior themselves, for them, for the other people. You can't, you can't do it for them. So this day and age is we tend to try to exonerate people from their own personal responsibility. You know, back when I was a kid in school, if you didn't turn in your paper and you got an F, my mom wasn't running down to the school and ragging on the teacher and saying, how dare you give my child an F and what's wrong with you? I would have gotten in trouble for not doing my homework. In this day and age, we will see parents go down and talk to teachers and say, oh, my poor child, she was tired, she had a cold, she didn't turn in her paper, can you give her another chance, or how dare you give my child an F? There's way too much rescuing going on starting at a very young age for personal responsibility. So one of the ways that we can change ourselves to not be codependent or enable others is to love ourselves, to set really healthy boundaries and to not rescue people from skinning their knee. Starting when they're very young, we let children reap the rewards or consequences for their behavior. Don't free your kid from detention if they're in in detention for whatever they did. You Know what is theirs to fix and what is yours to fix for yourself, and when you need to step in and be protective. But I think as a society, we are trying to protect what we see as the downtrodden way too much to the detriment of them rising up and protecting themselves. And I'm, I'm talking about addiction and kids and people that need to learn that if you do this dysfunctional behavior, it's going to create detriment for you. Okay? So when I say know what is yours and know what is theirs, it's really important. The analogy that I've used and I've talked about before is know what is your monkey to feed and water and know what is someone else's monkey to feed and water. And don't start feeding and water other people's monkeys thinking you're going to make them healthier. It doesn't work that way. So when you stop and say, this is their responsibility, this is their monkey, not my monkey, in my head sometimes I'll go, not your monkey, Patty. You can't do that. You can't fix that for somebody. So that's the way that you let go of enabling. That's the way that you begin to not be codependent. Looking at it in the old way of, uh, before we started calling it this self-love detrimental and, you know, to the detriment of you lacking self-love thing, is Melody Beattie wrote a book called Codependent No More. And it was really a great, Primer for codependency. You can get online and you can type in uh, characteristics of codependent people by Melody Beattie. And it's like a 10 page document that you can print out and it's a real good self awareness document. If you go through these 10 pages and you highlight behaviors that you do that they have traditionally called codependent, it can be a real eye-opener for what behaviors you do that are to the detriment of you as well. So I'm not necessarily saying use that like we used two years ago to diagnose yourself codependent and call yourself dysfunctional. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying look at this list that Melody Beattie wrote, which is a very comprehensive list of dysfunctional behaviors that we tend to do to enable others and see where it fits you. That's a perfect type of thing you can take into therapy and say, I do a lot of these behaviors, and I've listened to Dr. Patty's podcast about codependency and learning how not to enable, and I've really recognized these things about myself, and I need help digging deep to find out how to change. Not go into therapy and say, how can I get my drug-addicted child to stop being drug-addicted? There's a difference, all right? It's your monkey. Work on your monkey's. And that that isn't always easy. I'm, I'm not throwing that out there lightly. People struggle with this. Their intentions are to love someone out of their dysfunction. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't work. You can't love someone out of their dysfunction. You can only love yourself. You can only stand in your truth and tell them how their behavior makes you feel. You can offer suggestions and caring when they ask your opinion. But even then, you need to say, I have an opinion on this. Do you want to hear it? Or I am thinking of ways you might help yourself if you want to brainstorm. But I can't do it for you. And I can't fund it for you. And I can't make it happen for you anymore. I've done enough. So parents often ask me, should I pay for rehab once? Should I fork up that $40,000? Should I mortgage my house? Should I Cash in my retirement and pay for my kid to go once to rehab. And I usually say no. If they really want to get well, tell them you will drive them or help them find AA meetings to do a 90 and 90. 90 days of sobriety, 90 meetings in 90 days. Find your sobriety program. That's free. They can donate to AA and NA and you can help get them there if they need help with a ride. But paying $40,000 for them to go to rehab once and get out and use on the first day they get out, that is many times what happens. So we've been talking about codependency and looking at yourself and creating healthy boundaries and learning how not to enable because you are worth loving. This is Dr. Patricia Bay. You've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell, where I just want to help heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice, Shasta Regional Medical Center.